Amen. Let's bow for prayer. Father, again, we thank you that before the foundation of the world, you set your love on us. You determined to send your son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Father, we thank you that you have overseen the entire process, not only of bringing us to Christ, saving our souls, putting us into the family, but also determining our fruitfulness. And Father, I pray that you would give us a determination, as we have just sang about, that if indeed you have loved us, that we would be given totally to you. Lord, I pray that we will be committed to your ways, to the paths of righteousness. Father, I pray that you would convict us in areas that need conviction and that we would be a teachable people. Lord, change our hearts, change our minds. And Lord, with that change comes change in our actions. And I pray that it would be permanent changes. Sometimes, Lord, we get convicted. We know the direction we need to take. And yet we forget. And you remind us often in Scripture not to forget. So, Lord, I pray that your word would burn in our hearts. And, Lord, the things that you tell us that we would continue to do throughout this week, throughout this month, throughout this year. And, Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts also for the table so that we would come in a manner that's worthy of you. Lord, we do not want to drink judgment on ourselves. So I pray that you would prepare our hearts, and I pray that we would be listening to what you say. In Christ's name, amen. may be seated. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, but then you can also put... Yeah, kids, you can leave. <laughs> That's always funny. Whether I, is there anything... That, have I told them they could leave? <laughs> uh, Galatians chapter 5 and John 15. We're actually going to be in John 15 most of, the, most of the day. Again, we've been in Galatians looking at the works of the flesh... Galatians 5.19, what a list. I was thinking about it when I was a swimmer. One of the things we had to do was the coach would have us dive in on one side and see how far you could go. You know, you'd, you'd go underwater, touch the 25-yard mark, and then you'd make your way back, hopefully get to the second wall, maybe even push off from there. I remember that during that time, you know, your, your lungs are burning. And when you come up, it's like, oh, just let me breathe. And I feel like that when it comes to the works of the flesh. It's like, oh, it almost like, you know, burns your eyes to see it. Because you know what it is? You see yourself there. And now we finally made it to verse 22. And the, but the fruit of the Spirit is, it's like fresh air. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And with that, we're going to move to John 15. Because what I wanted to do with you is, is to say, but, but how, does, how is that really developed in a Christian's life? Because as I was preparing, in fact, it, for the first three, four days this week, I was preparing Galatians chapter 5, but I kept asking the question, but, but how does it really take place? You know, because a person might say, but I'm not a loving person. I want to love. I want to have peace. I want to have joy. But give me more. How does this work in my life? So I want to go to John 15. 
And I'm playing off of this idea of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit. How does this fruit get developed in our lives? John 15. One of the things I look forward to in the spring uh, for the last few years, is I, I usually go home and, and help my father in the grape field for two, three, four days. And it, this passage is probably one of my favorite passages, being someone who grew up on a grape farm. So I wanted to, and again, I'll be going home in a couple days, a few days, to help Dad. And again, as I was looking at Galatians 5, and I'm thinking fruit, and again, how does it produce in John 15? And again, he's talking about a vine. He's actually talking about grapes here. So let me read uh, verses 1 to 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done to you, or for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Did you notice some things here? You notice how many times he used the word fruit? Fruit, fruit. Started out with no fruit in verse 2. By the time he gets to verse 8, much fruit. This is a passage on fruitfulness. This is a passage of our Lord giving to his disciples before the time that he died in the upper room, um, a passage, a teaching on how to be fruitful. By the way, in verse 31 of chapter 14, just before we get into chapter 15, it says, Arise, let us go from here. Most likely at that point, at that very... Now, by the way, there's, there's some just... Some say, well, he's told them that they're going to go, but they stay in the upper room. I actually think at that very moment, they got up and they started walking. Now, the reason that's important is from going from where they are, upper room, to where they're going to be, they're going to pass through the temple. They're passed by the temple. And on the temple... Herod's temple, there was this one vine made of rock, but overlaid with gold, because again, that was, the, that was one, of the ty- uh, one of the pictures of Israel as a vine. And as they passed by though, that vine, and it was a very, very expensive, it was inlaid by gold. The worth of that, they say, back when gold was 300 an ounce, was $12 million. Now it would be what? $50 million. It was a very, very expensive inlaid gold vine that was on the temple. And probably as Jesus was walking with his disciples, he probably pointed that out. But he said, but I'm the true vine. And then as he went down into the valley, there were probably a few, at least a partial vineyard there. Now, there were olive trees, but there was... And that's where grapes were grown. And perhaps even even at that very moment said, you know, do you see over there on the, the, the vine? But I am the true vine. So again, the setting, you know, was very, very important. They They had seen, obviously, vineyards... In fact, again, Israel was called the vine in like Psalms 80. It says, Thou hast brought a vine out of Egypt. Talking about Israel itself. Thou hast cast out the heathen and planted it like Israel was God's vineyard. Verse 14, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine. I'm talking about Israel. 
Israel was a number of times in the Old Testament referred to as a vine. This is God's vineyard. But now Jesus is, is taking that and saying, but I'm the true vine. And you're not the vine, you're the branches. And my father is the gardener. Again, it's just very interesting how a picture can just, you know, uh, stick in your mind. However, it's not like you see over in Kiuka, you know, the Finger Lakes and stuff like that. It's real important because I was going to, you know, put up some pictures of like vineyards, but, but they didn't have wires. So let me show you a couple pictures of, of what the grape field. Now, again, this is an ancient illustration of a grape field. Now, I know it's dark, or yeah, the picture is dark. But you can see, if you can, I wish I had a pointer. But you can see how the, <coughs> the vine is really kind of scraggly. See, you don't see that in modern day. Modern day is you have them right in a row, and, and they're very small because you keep cutting them off. But here the vines are thick because they actually have to hold the entire weight of the, the crop. And there is no post, and there, is no, there are no wires. Okay, maybe next picture. Now, this was the only interesting... And by the way, I couldn't find very many pictures because there's always this, you know, rows and, and uh, wire and all this other stuff, which this would not be. But again, a lot of times they plant them in rows, but there was no wire, there were no posts. And the reason I like this is think about how much, nut- how much nutrients all that grass and flowers were taken from the vine. See, it, the idea with grapes is you've got to have nothing underneath the trellis. You want all the nutrients going to the grape. And then the final one... This is actually more like uh, back in first century it would look like. A lot of times they'd plant them on a hill. Um, grapes had to be in a sandy loam, but they would get the rocks and a lot of times build the rock fences around the grape field. And again, the, the grapes themselves might be in a row, but they were standing alone. Very different from American uh, agriculture. The, the reason that's important is because as Jesus said, I am the vine, what he's referring to is I am the trunk. Which, which connects the branches to the ground. I'm what supports you. I'm, I am what gives you all your nutrients that you need. All the life-sustaining, uh, whatever the, the branch needs, comes through the vine. Okay, And so that's just the idea. Again, back in uh, that day and age, a lot of times on the hillside, uh, many times they had uh, towers that would oversee the entire vineyard to make sure like animals and, and such were not getting in or thieves trying to rob the crop. And again, that's why they would have uh, the, the stone wall around it. Thank you. Um, but again, Jesus takes this illustration, and again, as he had, has walked with his disciples up through Galilee, Judea, especially Hebron, that's, that was a big uh, grape field. That's where a lot of the grapes were grown. He would have probably often used this illustration in different ways you know, referring to agriculture. But now, just before the time of his death, and let's just break this down, and really all this is, is, is uh, I, I just want to point out four characters needed for a harvest. What are the four players, okay? And what you're going to find out, it's the Trinity plus us, okay? And it's found in the passage. The first one is Christ himself, the vine. If you want to fill in, it's the vine. I am the true vine. Again, who's that referring to? Christ. Now again, why did Jesus choose the vine to illustrate? Because again, the vine portrays closeness, permanent, vital union between the vine and the branch. There's this, there there has to be this connection for the branch to produce. It has to be connected to the vine. Again, it shows complete dependence. I should have probably brought in, but you know, a lot of times my wife. 
um, in the fall when dad's trimming, we'll go home and get a bunch of vines to make wreaths out of. But you know one thing, that once you pick up a vine off the ground that's been disconnected from the, the, the main trunk, the main, excuse me, once you take a branch, see this is where I'm going to have a hard time. I call it vines. It's the branches. Once you take a branch off the ground that's been disconnected from the vine, the trunk, it's no longer useful for producing fruit. And again, for us, if we ever get disconnected, we're no longer able to produce fruit. And when I mean disconnected, I don't mean lose your salvation. I'm saying if you're walking without Christ being the leader, without walking in the Spirit, depending on Him, at this time, you you may be a Christian, but you're you're not producing fruit. At least fruit that will last. Again, the vine-branch relationships refers to the fact that only He can give us nourishment. Only He can give us support. That's why I like those pictures because it showed the, the, the vine, the trunk, actually holding up the entire crop. By the way, the, some of those grapes, they said that there was one type of grape in, in Israel that each bunch weighed 24 pounds, up to 20. It was huge. I mean, I read that. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't say it. It's like, whoa. But it makes sense. They were bigger. And, and then you, if you ever see uh, one of the uh, things in Israel, you know, two men, like, coming out of Canaan, carrying one bunch, well, that would make sense. You would, and again, they weren't the sizes that we're thinking of. But again, Jesus is the one that gives us nourishment, support, strength, vitality. It's this union with Him. Let me break apart these words. I am the true vine. I am. I mean, that immediately brings us to John chapter 8, where he's talking to the Pharisees, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And by the way, he wasn't saying there that I was before Abraham. He was talking about I was as far as transcending time before Abraham. Okay? And again, they got the picture. What he was saying is, I am sovereign. I am God. Before Abraham was, I am. But not only that, he says, I am the. The. Definite article. Only. Solitary one. I am the true vine. And again, in, in Scripture, there's a number of times where he, he, um, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door, the good shepherd, the son of God, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only one. Now, now again, we've heard this before, but this should penetrate our hearts. We serve God who is the only vine. The only one that I can get sustenance from, nourishment from, I need to be connected to Him to be fruitful, to glorify God. I can't do it on my own. By the way, the flesh wants to do it on its own. The flesh wants to be independent of God. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. I know the verses. I prayed. That was a few days ago, but I prayed. Let me just live my life. I mean, that's what the flesh wants to push you toward. That's why this passage, I think, is so important because it, it destroys the concepts of the flesh, the sin force. No, no, we need Christ at every moment of our life. We need Him today. See, it might have been this. You may have gotten up very quickly, maybe, you know, a hassle at home. Kids are not as, you know, a little sick, maybe a little whiny, kind of ran here. You haven't really thought about, like, meditation. All of a sudden, you're singing worship songs to God. Oh, that's really neat. But maybe your heart is not even prepared. I need to walk with God. We need to, we need to prepare our hearts for the table. 
So Paul, or, uh, for, so the Lord says, I am the, the only one, true. Again, actually in Greek it says this, I am the vine, the true. I am the vine, the true, the true one. The authentic one. James Boyce says, said this of this, path, or this word, true does not mean that he is true as opposed to that which is false, but rather that he is the one perfect essential vine before which all other vines are but a shadow. I'm the true one. There's been shadows of people who walked with God. I am the true one. I'm the one that brings you to God. I'm the one that will sustain you. Uh, for a Jew, they had an idea that somehow the sustenance came through the tabernacle and the temple. No, I am the true vine. I'm the one that you have to depend on. And then in your outline, I gave you one other. Enduring. In other words, living. He supplies us with sustenance and nourishment and support. In other words, He is not only sovereign, unique, genuine, but also the enduring one. Now, as believers, I mean... Or actually other people. What do others attach themselves to for security and nourishment? Now, we would, you know, a spiritual answer would say, well, no, the Lord, that's the only one. But think about what do we, what do we attach our hearts to, to to gather security and nourishment? You know, what do we depend on? That's what I'm trying to say. What are some of the other things that we depend on that are idols? Uh, sometimes we try to depend on our education. You know, think about what we find hope in, find joy in, find peace in. Maybe it's tied to your bank account or your popularity or your fame. Maybe it's your personal skills. I mean, sometimes even women. You know, I'm a homemaker, I'm a cooker. Well, that's, that's a, those are all great things. Those are biblical, but sometimes that's where you find your identity in the sense that that's where I find my hope and joy. Or possessions, relationships. Maybe it's a religious system. See, there's a lot of things we can find our hope in that's not really in Jesus Christ. And those would be considered idols. Again, I can find joy in some of those things, but if you find your hope, your dependence, your security, that's what he's getting at here. He's saying, listen, you're a branch, and and we've seen that and we'll see it in a moment. You're a branch, but unless you're vitally connected to me, anything you try to do in your life will be of none effect for eternity. No fruit off of that. The days when I am trying to live the Christian life without abiding in Christ, without being filled by His Spirit, walking in the Spirit, are very fruitless. I need Him. I need to be connected with Him. So that's the first part. That's the first character, Christ Himself, the vine. And notice the second, and my Father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. He's the owner, the cultivator. The protector. He was the one, like there, he would be the one overseeing the vineyard. By the way, that's how it's portrayed in Scripture, that the father is the overseer of the, of the vineyard, of, of, his, of his family. Uh, again, does the Holy Spirit operate also? Yes. Christ, yes. He's the intercessor. I mean, he's still intercessing. But the father is overseeing the entire process. In fact, I think you can see in Scripture from John chapter 6, it was the Father who chose, who gave to the Son, who redeemed, and who was actually overseeing this entire process of fruitfulness. So he's the vine dresser. He's the work. The word vine dresser literally means worker backslash earth, the worker of the earth. But, but notice what it says in verse 2. Every branch in me, now, now underline in me. 
<laughs> this is very important because this is where I disagree with a lot of interpretations. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And again, there's a when it says he takes away, that word is arrow. The primary word meaning of arrow, to takes away, the primary meaning is to raise up. That's what the primary meaning of that last verb is, to raise up. Really doesn't, primary meaning isn't to take away. I'll give you some examples. Uh, when, when it says that Christ uh, could be ca- or jump off the temple and it says, um, you know, Satan's trying to tempt Christ and it says, um, in their hands they shall bear you up. In other words, you won't, you won't get hurt because they will bear you up. The idea is lift up. Or in Matthew 9, verse 6, Jesus heals the paralytic and he says, Arise, arrow, take up your bed. Take up. Or when it says that they took up stones to cast at him. Took up. Arrow, same word. Or when it says that figuratively of Jesus lifted up his eyes. Arrow. Now, why is that important? Because the interpretation, it sounds like in verse 2, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Oh, he's gone. Wait a second here. You're saying that you can lose your salvation? There's a whole lot of passages in Philippians and Romans and Ephesians and, and uh, I mean, throughout Scripture that talk about the security of the believer. He that began a good work will finish it. But again probably because of verse 6, because it says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch, he's withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire. And I'm assuming that because of verse 6, verse 2, whoever was translating and saying, well, you know, must be if given the option of lifting up versus taking away, we're going to go with the, the less uh, translated use of that word as far as cutting off. And yet I would say, wait a second, he's talking about lifting up. Why? Because as a farmer, that's exactly what you do in the springtime. When a, when a branch gets laid on the ground and can't get near the sun, that's exactly what happens. They don't bear fruit because everything gets overrun. What do farmers do? They lift it up. In, in that type of scenario, they would take the branch and actually bring it right over, but i.e., get it to the sun. So what does the father do? I would submit to you this that he tenderly takes care of his children and those who are not bearing fruit at the moment, he lifts up. He doesn't cut off. That makes no sense. By the way, you weren't good when you came to Christ. You were haters of him. Romans is very clear on that. You did not seek him. You did not know him. You did not want him. He saved you because he set his love on you. He pursued you. You didn't pursue him. Does it make any sense at all to say, well, okay, so you saved me when I hated you, and now because I'm not fruitful, I'm cut off. So again, I believe what he's talking about is he makes all believers fruitful. What do you mean? He, he, he doesn't take off, cut off. The primary way that word is always translated is he lifts up. The father tenderly says, you know what, I see some of my children, they don't always produce fruit like they should. But I believe that's the first part of that verse too is very carefully. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get them towards the sun. Uh, you know, in a plan, it's the physical sun. For us, it's the 
It's, it's Jesus Christ. So again, fruitfulness of the branch, not the vine, is under consideration here. It's what the, what's happening with the branches? The branches need to be brought to the light. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he picks up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Do you see the progression here? No fruit, fruit, bears fruit, more fruit. Do you see what he wants to do in our lives? He wants to produce not just fruit, he wants to produce more fruit. Some of you right now are going through the pruning process. We, by the way, we all are going, but some of it is more obvious. Things are being pruned from our lives. And we wonder why. And, and, and by the way, I, I don't want to become like Job. I mean, I want to be like Job who was patient and didn't understand and didn't have to understand the whole thing. But just understand this. I do know this one thing, that the process in my life and yours is for this purpose, is to get more fruit. Better fruit, more quality fruit. You, you go back to Galatians 5, love, joy, peace. I look at my life and some say, I, I don't have peace. At times, I do not have peace. At times, I see covetousness in my heart. And I say, Lord, why? Why can't I just as simply say, Lord, I want to walk with you and it's gone? What is he doing? He, will, he has to prove, it takes time to produce fruit. That's the one thing I notice on my dad's farm. I usually help him in April. I, but I don't come back in May and think, well, where's the grapes? I mean, come on. It's been six weeks. It takes time. It takes time. It takes time to fully develop, fully ripen. So he makes us not only fruitful, but he makes us more productive. He prunes. The word prune is kathreo. It means to cleanse. To cleanse, you know, however you want to say it. It's in the present tense, which means he's continually pruning. <laughs> and that's where it gets hard, because sometimes you go from one pruning to the next, and you just say, oh, can't we just... And, and the thing is, it takes time. And he's pruning little things out of our lives. And, and let's think of a farmer. What does he prune? Uh, if you go to Proverbs chapter 24, let me show you what a bad farmer looks like. This is a lazy man. This is a lazy man with a vineyard. Like I said, keep your hand on John 15. He says, I went by the field of a lazy man. Verse 30. Proverbs 24, 30. I went by the field of a lazy man and by the vineyard of a man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all grown with thorns. I mean, think about this. You know, here's, here's um, uh, you know, all these grape vines, but they're all overgrown with thorns. And its surface was covered with nettles. And its stone wall was broken down. Because again, they usually had stone walls. So what would you say here? Well, this, this, this farmer was not a... I mean, he, he wasn't taking care of his crop. Again, he wasn't even... And the other thing that he doesn't show is, uh, you know, usually with farmers, they had to keep uh, picking up rocks. <laughs> you know, it's funny how rocks like almost miraculously appeal, appear in a field. You, know, you pick them up and then the next year, it's like there's more rocks. I thought I got them all last year. But here's a lazy man, and everything's overgrown. So what are some of the enemies of a, of a grapevine? Well, again, all the thorns and all the weeds and uh, bacteria and, and uh, funguses of, of a number of types. I mean, there's a lot to be done to, to produce a good crop. But in our lives, there's blight and disease. <laughs> and by the way, 
the father, like if you go to Hebrews chapter 12, again, I, I'm just kind of flipping around, but um, it talks about the chastening hand of God. But in verse 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, chapter 12 is right after chapter 11, the hall of faith, those who have, have run well. But he says this, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the men of faith, men, women of faith of Hebrews 11, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And there he has two different things that are in a believer's life. The weights and the sins. See, he's, he's, he's using the illustration not of a vine, but of a runner. And in a runner in that day and age, literally would strip down to nothing to run. All the weights would be off. They wanted to, to, to run with the least amount of, uh, of weight on their body. And in our lives, there are things that are not sinful, but they're just weights. Uh, sometimes, it's the, even the things that we have. Do you notice that the more things you have, the more it takes you, you know, your, your time to like, keep up the things? I remember James Dobson saying one time that he got an RV. And all of a sudden, rather than the RV you know, becoming... Instead of the RV being a servant, it became the master. He had to keep... you know working on the RV and fixing the RV and changing the oil on the RV. And before long, it's like I'm spending my, my time, I'm serving it. I always find this funny with uh, animals as well. We have a cat. And I don't particularly like cats, but it was given to us. But anyways, but I always find this interesting. I mean, I like the thing. It, it kills mice and whatever. But I always find, <laughs> what I find interesting is this. I get up and it runs, it gets in front of me and like dictates to me, well, you know, you have to let me out. So I have to like walk behind this thing. And if it doesn't want to go out, you know, then I try to, and no, no, I'm not. And then you're like, Arr. okay, what do you want? Oh, you want some water. Oh, you want some food. And the thing has become my master almost, you know, like I have to get up. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know where I, why I said that. But when it comes to the vine... There are things that he has taken out of our life. Sometimes it's things that are not sinful. And then sometimes it's the sinful things. Do you see the thing? In other words, God is cutting out of our life. Sometimes we have a, a dependence on something and he cuts it out of our life. It might be a relationship. It's something, maybe it's a possession. Maybe it's something to do with my um, profession. It might be have to do with my finances. But he cuts out, he prunes. What's the whole point? Make me miserable? No. More fruit. What do you mean? He wants to develop love and contentment in my heart. He wants to develop obedience into my heart. But it's all on the Father. Interesting thing with a vine. Every year, you have to cut off at least 80% of all the buds to get a good crop. Now think about that implication in our life. In other words, if you have 300 buds, you leave 30 Actually, it's almost near 90%. Those, a lot of those buds could produce fruit, but if you leave too many, the fruit at the end in October is, is not sweet because there's too much juice. I mean, yeah, too many buds sucking all the juice. You have to get from 300 buds down to 30, and they're the closest to the crown, which is the trunk, the vine. So you have to do a lot of cutting. 80, 90% of the wood from last year is gone after you go through and trim. That's, I, I've always thought about that as far as in our own life. He just wants to start cutting because we can get so multi, I mean, we can have so many distractions 
that we're not fully serving God any longer. We're just trying to hold on to all the things of this world. And, and I'm not saying that you get, a, get rid of your car and you get rid of your house. All I'm saying is we can be very easily distracted. Isn't that true? And God comes along and wants to prune so that we keep our focus on Him. So He's the vine dresser. By the way, He uses, look at verse 3, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. It's the word that challenges us and convicts us and changes our directions. And what's great is this, as he's stripping away bad habits, he actually creates the desire within our hearts to want them gone. You know how you have something, and then as God works in your heart, you start to say, I don't want that anymore. And then it starts, you know, I don't want that at all. I hate that. I just want to get rid, especially if it's a sin, I just want to get rid of that. So before he even prunes it off, many times the desire is already there. I want it gone. Well, let's look at a third character. We not only have the vine and the vine dresser, we also have the enabler. The enabler. Now again, you don't see the enabler right here in chapter 15. But we saw him, or you would see him in John 14, verse 15. Look at verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 15, 16, 17. If you love me, keep my wor- uh, commandments. By the way, that, doesn't that sound so much like verse 3? You're already clean by my word. If you love me, keep my commandments. In other words, the word of God. And I will pray the Father. Again, who's the Father? Vine dresser. And he will give you another helper. He's the one that's going to send the helper. That he may abide with you forever. Look at verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. He's going to, that I said to you, He's going to be the one. So the Father, the the farmer, as it were, the vine dresser, sends the Holy Spirit. He's the third character in fruitfulness in a believer's life, the enabler. He's the third person of the Trinity. By the way, He's not just powerful, though He is powerful, He's God. The Holy Spirit is a person. I like what Boyce said. If we think of the Holy Spirit as a mysterious power, our thought will continually be, quote, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? If we think of the Holy Spirit as a person, our thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit have more of me? Again, sometimes we use wrong terminology. uh, Terminology. It's not how much more can I get of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's in me. It's how much more can He have of me. I'm the problem. So again, He's come, and again, if you put John 13, 14, 15 together, yeah, we have fruitfulness, but how does that work? Jesus is the the vital relationship with Christ. The Father is the gardener, the farmer. But then we have the Holy Spirit. He's the enabler. He's the one that produces the fruit, like in Galatians chapter 5. By the way, you might say, well, uh, what would all that summary of that fruit look like? You know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, self-control. What what does that all summarize to? It's being Christ-like. So the Holy Spirit is driving us to be more like Christ. Look at verse 4. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is, in fact, he uses the word, the idea of abide in me seven times in the next three or four verses, from four to seven. Seven times, abide in me. The word is meno. 
It's the imperative. You must abide in me. You must abide in me. If you're going to be fruitful, you must abide in me. And so the question is, what does it mean to abide? I mean, what does it mean to, you know, Lord, I want to be fruitful, but what does it mean to abide? Well, again, if you add everything up, it would mean that I have a relationship with him, with Jesus Christ, as my Savior. That's the first, that's the starting point. And so that's your starting point. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? You have faith in him. That's the starting point. But then, look at verse 5. I, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. The second part of abiding is not just that I have a saving relationship with him, but I have a dependence on him. I am depending on him in my day-to-day walk, because I walk by faith. It's a persevering faith. And also, it's an obeying faith. Look at, again, if you're in John 15, go to 14 again. Chapter 14, verse 15 and 21. If you love me, what? Keep my commandments. That's an obeying faith. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And I think the abiding and the loving is very closely connected, if not synonymous. So when he's saying, abide in me, abide in me, he's saying, listen, you have to have a saving relationship with me, connected with me, that is on a continual basis, dependent upon my strength, through my spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's an an attitude, a desire to obey what I say. Because again, without him, I can't do it. Like verse 5 says, without Christ, there's no fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. If you haven't underlined nothing, I'd underline it. Spiritual fruit is a spiritual product of a spiritual union. Let me say that one again. Spiritual fruit is a spiritual product of a spiritual union. I'm preaching to you right now. But you know what? If my heart is not prepared to say, Lord, I want you to use me. I want you to be glorified. I need your power then I could be just talking and nothing happens. How many times have we sought to teach our kids, teach a Sunday school class, teach an ABF, teach Word of Life, be a leader in Word of Life, be a good parent, you know, be a loving father, be a, be a, being a holy parent, and yet I'm not really dependent on Christ. I'm just doing it in my own strength. Oh, I have the saving relationship with Jesus Christ, but I'm not depending on Him. And this passage, again, is all about fruitfulness. I don't think it has anything to do with salvation. It has to do with fruitfulness. And he's saying, listen, if you're not connected with me, if what you're doing right now is not dependent on me, it's just fruitless. It's just going to burn later. And again, you say, well, but I need to be connected. I need to be clean. Well, again, verse 3, you're already clean because of the Word. You're already clean. In other words, you've been brought to me, but now... You need this daily cleaning. Spurgeon said, We cannot separate Christ from the Word. In the first place, He he is the Word, the Logos, John 1. And in the second, How dare we call Him Master and Lord and not do the things that He says? We can't separate Him from the Word of God. So when we say we need to walk with Christ, it's got to be as the Bible states and dictates. In other words, if, if you look at your life over the last month or week, month, And you say, you know what? I rarely get into the book. I rarely get into the Word of God. I would say this. 
most likely you're not depending on Him. Most likely you're really not abiding in Him in the sense of being fruitful. Spurgeon said this also of the Word. He said, The Word is often the knife. You ever feel like the Word of God is the knife with which the great gardener prunes the vine? And brothers and sisters, if we were more willing to feel the edge of the Word and to let it cut away even something that may be very dear to us, we should not need so much pruning by affliction. He says, you know what? If we were quicker to hear and listen and obey, we wouldn't need to have some of these other ways that God uh, prunes us. See, God can prune us through the Word, but sometimes He prunes us through affliction, through major loss. You know why? You're not listening. I'm talking. You need to obey. How many times do I have to say this? Okay, listen, I am dead serious about getting fruit out of you. That's what God would say. So if you don't want to listen, we can, we can go down this path two or three ways. One is conviction. But you want to still hold on to your money and think that's your God? I might have to bring you through some real deep waters to show how that is nothing. You know what I'm saying? And major loss where if we were just listening... I'm not saying necessary wealth is a major loss. It can come in a lot of ways. That's why in, in 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to be there in just a moment, it says, let a man examine himself. Let him. And the idea is this. There's some different ways we can get convicted. One of the ways is you examine yourself. Lord, I see where you're bringing me. I want to learn. I want to be teachable. Teach me. But you know what? If you don't want to examine yourself, sometimes God does this. He's done it in my life. All right, if you don't want to examine yourself, you don't want to expose what's there, I'll have someone else expose it. I'll have someone else find out your secret sin. I'll have someone else shame you into that direction because you know what? I am dead serious at making you fruitful. And then finally, look at the last character is the branches itself. And we've been looking at this. We are the branches. And the branch must abide, must be dependent, must be actively dependent, obedient, loving, divine. Synonymous terms that we'll look at next week would be walk in the Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Those are, again, synonymous terms with abiding. But Packer said this of the Holy Spirit. Do we honor the Holy Spirit by recognizing and relying on His work? Or do we slight Him by ignoring it, thereby dishonoring the Holy Spirit, not merely the Spirit, but the Lord who sent Him? Do we actually see how necessary it is for us to depend on His Word and on His Spirit? Or do we just stumble through life? And if that happens, look at the last thing about the branch. It becomes more and more fruitful. Verse 2, no fruit. He lifts up. Verse, second part of verse 2, bears fruit. How about second, last part of verse 2? More fruit. And you see fruit, 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 fruit. And by verse 8, bears much fruit. That's the whole point. God wants to bear fruit in your life. In fact, that is the only thing that a branch is used for. Do you realize that? The only good thing that a branch is used for is fruitfulness. It, it wasn't good for carving. You can't take a branch and carve on it. It wasn't good for uh, 
for even making a fire. In fact, it was even part of the law that people had to bring uh, wood for the sacrificial fire at the temple. But one of the stipulations was you could not bring branches, grape branches, because they were worthless for creating a fire. The point is this. When it comes to branches, everything except for producing fruit, we're useless at. We're useless. In fact, I think that's his point in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me. All right, let's say, you know what? I don't want to abide in Christ. I don't want to produce fruit through him. He is cast out as a branch. He's withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. I know, you know, as I've read commentaries, some would say, well, you know, he's talking about those who can lose their salvation. I think there's a lot of evidence in Scripture you can't lose your salvation. Well, those are people who were never really... Uh, saved. Well, maybe profession, you know, professors aren't saved, just those who are possessors of Jesus Christ. Or maybe, maybe what he's talking about there is that you lose your reward when you get to Judgment Day. I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what he was all referring to. I, and probably more like the lose your reward. But I, I think this is the main point of that. Listen, if you're a branch and you're hooked to me, the only thing you're good for is fruitfulness. If you go out and try to do anything else in this world trying to prove who you are, it's going to fail. Because the only thing branches are good for is fruitfulness, to produce fruit. And you only can produce fruit fruit if you're hooked to me. So, I mean, really, that could be a life changer right there. This this is like the purpose-driven life right here. So what's my purpose in life? Fruitfulness for God. Well, what if I try to do anything else? I'm just like a branch that's burned up. It's, It's useless. I can't do anything else. So the Lord would say this. Why don't you really get on my page? The whole point of this life is not to, let's say this, create great wealth or even have a great family. The whole point of this life is that you would walk with me and be dependent on me and be fruitful for me. That's what the whole point of this life is. And so he says in uh, Corinthians 11, he says, make sure you examine yourself. Make sure you examine yourself, not just for sins, but to see if you're really walking with him. By the way, the last part of John 15 says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. It might be that you need to confess a major sin in your life. But it may be that the major sin is, Lord, I have a very real tendency to walk independent from you. I mean, I come to church and I listen to the message and I might even have a tinge of con- uh, conviction. But when I leave, after I leave on Sunday morning, I rarely think of you. I certainly don't depend on you. And when I go to your word, I don't like focus in and say, I want to obey. I know that you've given me your spirit, but I rarely think of him. And when it says to be filled or controlled... I don't want to be controlled. I want to do it my way. See, the sin might be independence. And that's really the whole message today. If we're going to be fruitful, we have to be dependent on Him. It has to be one of these things where, Lord, a new day. But you know what? For me to get from here, 6 o'clock in the morning to tonight, if it's really going to be an honor to Christ, I have to walk with you. Oh, and if I have to walk with you, I better find out what's going on in the Word as far as in my life. Lord, please convict me. And Lord, if you tell me something, I will listen. Because I'm dead serious about wanting to produce fruit for you. And as you walk through the day, you start seeing how God is guiding you. 
And when you have hard times in your life through the day, you're actually okay with that because you know what you say? It's not about this life. This is just a light affliction that's just for a moment. Really, what it's all about is being fruitful for the Father. And so, yes, you might have the bad news about a health issue or a financial issue or a relational issue, something going on in your life. But you look at those trials and afflictions, you say, Lord, you've just sensitized me more for heaven. And it's all about fruitfulness anyways. We get too connected to this earth. And then we, what happens is our whole mind starts to revolve around these things of this earth. And the Father says, listen, the whole point is you're just here for a moment. I just want you to be fruitful. I've seen my father at times say, you know what? That whole, that whole part of that vine, you know, uh, vine right there, there was all this big, and he'd take his lopping shears and... And like a third of it was gone right there. Sometimes that happens to us. Why? Because he, he didn't want fruit? No, because he wanted it. That's the whole point. He had to lop it off so that what was remaining could be fruitful. So maybe you've had some of that lopped off in your life. And you can go back and you say, whoa, I remember when that was lopped off and all of a sudden I felt like God hated me. That somehow he didn't, wasn't on my side any longer. But if you have the idea of fruit... Now you say, I understand what he was doing. He was narrowing my vision. I had too many distractions, and now he brought it down to where I could focus on him. So as we prepare our hearts, ask him, Lord, am I truly dependent on you? Let's... Amen. Just remember this one thing. The only thing that a branch was good for was to bear fruit. Not about how, how many toys you have at the end. Not about finding our security in this world. He wants your security in Him. And sometimes when we disregard, He takes out the big lopping shears. And we, we, we endure trials and afflictions and conviction. And I trust you'll go back and just say, you know what, Lord? That's right. The only good thing that a branch was used for was to bear fruit. And if I got my off, Lord, bring me back because I want to bear fruit. Do you want to bear fruit? And do you also believe that it's the vine dresser he tenderly cares for? Do you believe that the Father really tenderly cares for him? Even when he has to use the big shears, he's doing it out of love, not out of hate. Father, again, we thank you that you do love us. That you tenderly care for us. Lord, I pray that we would be hearers and doers of the word. Lord, we know that if we love you, we'll keep your word. We'll obey it. And Lord, I pray right now for each one of us. Help us to evaluate our life. Help us to see where we find true satisfaction and contentment. What are we depending on? Lord, show us if we're truly dependent on you, not only for salvation, but our daily walk. And Lord, the things that are in our lives, some of the real hard struggles, help us to lay it before your feet. Lord, help, help us to remember that it's all about fruitfulness. And if you want to build into our life contentment, if you want to build into our life joy and peace, many times that's a hard road. But Lord, we want to travel it with you because we know that you are a gentle farmer. You are a caring farmer. Remind us of these truths even as we have to endure certain things this next week. Remind us often that you love us. And that you want the very best for us. In Jesus' name, amen.